two before the one. Wisdom is water, I'm the daughter of the cannon fodder. Applied knowledge and insight, a born scholar. Look like a martyr to marauders like Tartar. Wise out slaughter, whack MCs, order a plotter. Original woman, decipher the womb. Crown of creation, fruit of the planet, earth and the moon. Peace, peace, peace. Welcome to another episode of Wise the Dome. Uh, today we have a very special guest, man. He's a friend of the show. You've seen him on here a few times. You've seen him on his own show, the Brother Diallo Show. You've seen him on Black Power Media as well. Great thinker, man. You know, uh, always a pleasure to have him on. Brother Diallo, thank you for coming through. Oh, oh anytime, anytime. Very happy to be here. Uh, how, you, how you been, man? You all right? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh a uh, solemn day you know king day but you know yeah. we trudge through right. <laughs> right that's what i kind of wanted to start with that um you know it's whenever we think of dr king and also the uh holiday to commemorate him you know there's a <clears throat> we have obviously capitalist corporations that you know use his image to sell products we have the i have a dream speech played over and over and over um and then a lot of the things and i the ideas that dr king were you know wrote about and um were constant was contemplating towards you know the end of his life doesn't seem like the same Dr. King that, you know, America likes to portray. Like even today, um, it's funny how they use his name, uh, like Ted Cruz and all of these other like right-wing fascists, you know, quoting him about things, you know, making America great and all of these things. But whatever you think of Dr. King, um, I know that's a pretty broad question. You can take it wherever. But whenever you think of Dr. King, um, what? Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go on, go on. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, like, what what comes to your mind as far as who he was in his totality? Um, my main thing is, uh, I think that King was evolving. I think King was transitioning from being a a a um, progressive to a, a revolutionary. Um, he was younger than I am now when he was assassinated. And I think the reason he was assassinated is because they wanted to stifle the evolution because King was um, basically at the beginning of his career, more or less controlled opposition um, to prevent or to to uh, overshadow the um, more radical calls for black power and black liberation. Um, Malcolm X was very clear on message to the grassroots. There was a bottom up grassroots black revolutionary uh, ideology developing and struggles and movements and pockets of America that were uh, syncing up with the um, struggles in the Caribbean, struggles in Latin America, decolonial struggles in Africa. And so they decided they wanted a top down. So they basically um, wanted polish. They decide who they're going to not necessarily go to him as an as a uh, deliberate or or uh, direct conspiracy but the media can pick and choose because of the the strength of um the corporate media and the state itself to give attention to or determine who you see a lot of uh leading blacks today some show up on 
MSNBC, some blacks show up on Fox News, some blacks show up on um, liberal um, outlets like Democracy Now!, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates and people of that nature, they aren't necessarily the most articulate. They're not even people who have that much influence over the black community, but white people have always reserved uh, for themselves the ability to determine who's who is the voice of the generation, uh, not just in the arts, but in politics and in uh, religion. So anyway, coming out of all that, Dr. King was very malleable. Dr. King's tactics uh, were more acceptable um, to um, the oppressor. Dr. King's outlook and his his goals were more acceptable. He was limited his movements to to social reforms, political reforms. He didn't touch on politics. He didn't touch on international issues. Uh, he did not advocate for self defense for arming, and so all those things to say. But if if you follow Dr. King's writings and his public thoughts and his uh, alliances that he was cultivating, it was clear that Dr. King saw the error of his ways. And he also saw that the uh, system had no intention of really um, making good on its deal, on, uh, on its side of the bargain in terms of if Black people can demonstrate the ability to endure uh, and suffer peacefully, then they will give us concessions as soon as the time is right. The mm. so long story short is, um, they had created, they had given King the Nobel Peace Prize. They had uh, set him down in front of presidents and he had the audience of presidents. They had made his organization, many of the uh, funders at the time, DuPont and, and, and Cargill, many of the big funders and, and, and liberal funders and uh, philanthropists at that time. So they had created King and King, like W.E.B. Du Bois of his era, went off script, went off the you know, as, as uh, we would say, went off the reservation. And uh, for that reason, I think that's why he was, so he was an evolving revolutionary. And then I said, I would say that the king that they resurrected was not the king that they assassinated. Mm. So King was rebranded after his, and King was not very popular at the time of his death. Um, he had a lot, and many people, especially prominent Negroes, Bill Cosby's and very prominent Negroes who are from that era in their 80s and 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 some in their 90s and late 70s, uh, they didn't stand or walk with King. And now they they say his name at every opportunity. Right. So Dr. King was resurrected to be uh, with the rhetoric that his dream was fulfilled, that his dream did not extend beyond desegregating buses, desegregating lunch counters, and having little white boys and little black boys and little white girls and little black girls walk hand in hand. School desegregation, black people getting into prominent positions within the system, mm -hmm. uh, elected to public office, uh, high-ranking positions within multinational corporations, black entrepreneurship. Like, and so they just totally you know, confined King's message from justice to a message of human rights and justice, to a message of opportunity and integration. Right. So King has been distorted. King is 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 owned now. You know, he has a national holiday in the United States. He has the he's the museums from Tennessee where they murdered him to to the state capitol. He's one of the few people who has a prominent you know monument on the capitol right up there with Lincoln, uh, Abraham Lincoln, and George Washington. So King is now owned, a wholly owned uh, tool, a weaponized tool 
of the state at this point. Mm. And you have right-wing conservatives who call his name. Uh, you have racist, overt racists who claim to be acting in the spirit of King when they impose racist policies. You have uh, Uncle Tom sellouts who uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have marched with King, who, who used King as a bludgeon to beat poor and struggling Black people over the head, uh, telling us that what our behaviors are inconsistent with what King has wanted, as if we're obligated to live our lives according to what Dr. King right, wanted. Right, right. King is a complex figure. I do have respect. I do think that he was evolving. I think that's what I admire most about Dr. King and Malcolm X, their ability and willingness to evolve when they are when they are introduced to new insights, new understanding, when circumstances begin to change or advance or regress, they're willing and capable of, of adjusting their stances as opposed to many of these uh, leading blacks today. They they are hardened fundamentalists. They're really reactionaries. They get right. a line and they stick to that line and they have pride in saying, Well, this is what I believe in that and I don't. So they they but Dr. King was an academic. He yeah. was a, a researcher. He was a learned man. Um, Malcolm X was an academic. I believe if King was not thwarted and assassinated and murdered by the state, I do believe that he would have uh, more and more aligned with Kwame Ture. Kwame Ture, for many years, talked about personal conversations he had with King. And Kwame Ture was literally radicalizing King. And mm -hmm. radicalizing doesn't mean that that king was going to come out with, with a beret, a leather jacket, and a machine gun. Radicalizing means that king was going to have a more grounded and fundamental understanding of the world and his people's position in it and begin to speak to not just the symptoms of racism or the superficial manifestations of the racism, but begin to identify the core of the racism and propose solutions that attack the core of racism, white hegemony, and capitalism. Mm. So that's a, a complex figure, but I do respect him as one of our ancestors. And I do think it's tragic that America has been able to wrap the flag around King and have this zombie. I'm all about love and, yeah. and, 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 and peace, Dr. King. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on and just to, you know, cause I knew you'd give a, a great and profound answer on that. And, but uh, it's, you know, you look at some of Dr. King's works and, about his criticism on capitalism and uh, you know having socialist ideas um it makes me think that you know like when we think about uh Du Bois um and you know we can't we had the talented 10th idea um and then later on due to the fact that he was able to evolve because he was not assassinated you know, he became more uh, Pan-African and communist, right? Um, do you think that if King would have never been assassinated, um, that his idea of justice would be more and more focused on how uh, exploitative capitalism is and became a full-out socialist? Yeah, we know that for an absolute fact. In fact, throughout King's career, he was accused of being a communist uh, infiltrator mm -hmm. or what they called back then a fifth columnist. At that era, the United States was involved in a uh, Cold War or a war of attrition with uh, the Soviet Union, which was a conglomerate of several communist states in Eastern Europe. And there was also a communist uprising, communist and social 
guerrilla movements in Latin America, uh, Southeast Asia, and on the A African continent. And Dr. King, and what was told back then, what many Black people were told back then is that Black people should stay loyal to America. And once the threat of communism is defeated, it, then we can discuss it. So black mm. people were always told after the Civil War, oh, we have to mend the nation. So we're going to let this give the bring the South back in. So we had to wait while they mended the nation together. And then came right after, shortly after that, and shortly after Reconstruction, there were uh, economic collapses. There were Great Depressions long back in eighteen uh, twenty and the eighteen sixties. There were was financial instability. Of course, then came World War One, and they had to defeat the Hun or de defeat the, the, the European uh, um, conglomerates or, or, or empires, then World War II. So they were always telling Black people, you know, just when we turn this corner, I mean, in fact, they're even making promises like that now to Black people. Once we turn this corner, once we... So um, at that time with, with Dr. King um, was evolving, he was always accused of being a communist. And there was this old flyer that the KKK and the White Citizens Council had put up billboards showing mm. Dr. King in a meeting where it's him and all surrounded by white people. And they were like, we had this is photo evidence of Dr. King at a young communist meeting. Wow. And, and you recall back during uh, the Hillary Clinton's run for presidency against mm. Donald Trump, they were anytime a black person would say, I don't like Hillary, I don't have no intention on voting for Hillary, they would accuse you of being a Russian bot. Wow. Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. You know, so but I never related that to the same thing as what they would. They've do. always whenever yeah. black people mm -hmm. don't toe the line of mm -hmm. the people who believe they own us, it's either because we're insane or because we're being controlled by external forces. Right. And when they don't have a, a, an external force like the Soviet Union or the Russian um, government or they'll say demons, demonic forces have overtaken us, <laughs> you know? So they, they, they can never imagine black people being internally driven and motivated for rebellion um, or rebelling in ways that are not pre-approved by our oppressor. So King was always called a communist. He was called a communist sympathizer. He was called Pinko back then. And Pinko was someone who isn't a communist. So you got red, the communists were red. Mm -hmm. But when you dilute red, it starts to turn pink. Right. So a communist sympathizer or someone who has communist leanings. So it was a, a I mean, and they, it's funny that the right wing today talks about cancel culture when there's never been more cancellation than during what was called the McCarthy era. And the uh, if you were just walking with a, a pamphlet in your pocket, you could lose your job, your community. If you just had a, a socialist workers pamphlet. So anyway. King, his entire career was accused of being a secret communist, mm. a closeted communist. So yeah. when King finally came out and says, well, I'm going to work with the, the poor people's movement, when King, King started to identify the class divisions and started understanding what good is, is, is uh, social rights if you don't have economic mobility, if you don't have economic justice and, and, um, and Black people... Uh, and the you, the state doesn't atone for generations of economic repression. We weren't just racially repressed, politically repressed. We were economically repressed. So when he started, that's when a lot of his enemies and detractors say, we knew it. We told y'all, we warned America that he was a no good communist. Y'all didn't believe us. Y'all thought he was a good Christian man. He's a bad Christian. And even black Christians, mm. 
And then he came out against the Vietnam War. Right. And who were they fighting? And there was this concept called the domino effect. They said, if you let one nation fall to communism, then the next nation, and then we'll all be communists. And so then he came out sympathetic, calling out the atrocities of the Vietnam War, calling out the injustices of the Vietnam War, and the Viet Cong was communist. Right, right. So right, King, right. whether he ever said he was a communist mm -hmm. or not, his entire life was accused of being communist. And then he started advocating for labor unions and labor rights for economic justice for the just redistribution of of wealth for for proper oversight and taxation of the elites so um i do conclude that dr king was a socialist he advocated for socialist reforms so he wasn't necessarily a a full born he would be more in line with bernie sanders mm -hmm. Uh, he supported redistributive policies and wealth and limitations of or putting a, net, a ceiling on the economy. He wasn't necessarily a socialist because he did not call for the abolition of private property. He did not call for the, the revoking of corporate charters and it, uh, dismantling of corporations, but anti-war, anti-imperialism. But I do think that King was becoming more radical. So if he hadn't been murdered, I think and I think the federal government, the FBI agrees with me mm. that he would have gone full uh, socialist, if not full communist, just like you mentioned, W.B. Du Bois went from being a capitalist and a, um, a patriotic American to being a full born communist. Right. So, yeah. so that was King's trajectory. That's where he was going if he hadn't been shot down. Mm. Uh, yeah, in, in I, my I, assessment. I totally going, agree. And I'm going strictly off of his words. Right. The policies he supported, the alliances he started to build and forge. No, no, definitely. The evidence is there. And, you know, there's even a book. I know, I know you probably read it, Radical King. Um, and um, but if you know, if you look at some of his own writings and his own books, like yeah. you said before, like he he kind of laying it out there, he's saying it without saying it in a lot of cases. Um you and, and also, you know, it's it's hard to be fully and also maybe i would say ultimately he might have been a, a liberation theologist mm -hmm. i think that's probably as far as he would have went but yeah I, I think the if they hadn't assassinated king and he'd been allowed his natural development and evolution intellectually and ideologically yeah he would have been much further left than he was right indeed and you kind of mentioned something um about you know of the rebranding of King and nowadays we have like you said you know people like Ta-Nehisi Coates that that are you know propped up on these shows and I I don't know if you saw it the other day but I saw a um, it was a discussion it was like ten minutes long from what I saw but it might have been longer but it was uh, Mark Lamont Hill and Michael Eric Dyson and they were pretty much saying there was there were it, the conversation was so elitist to me right um if you don't have a phd then you know how dare you debate us but really what's get what happens is they start they don't have the pulse of the people and they start debating people online and they start getting cooked that's how i see it in a lot of cases right but yeah. michael eric dyson was like um you is I pretty much got the vibe and the and the idea from what he was saying that him and Mark Lamont Hill that um they feel like you know they've gotten this far in 
the world of academia, but they are losing the they're they're losing any type of what's the word I'm looking for any type of uh, 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 like they don't have the people anymore they they're losing any type of uh, hold that they had or influence that they had that's what I was any type of influence that they I, had on the people what's your, what's your thoughts on that man I don't think uh, Michael Eric Dyson ever really had a an organic relationship uh, he's definitely um, didn't come from the bottom up he came from the top down. I don't really fault him for that because to me it's a quality over quantity issue when it comes to, to um, analysis, understanding our situation, articulating solutions. Um, to me, I don't really measure your value by how many people agree with you or how many people follow you, but the, the quality, depth, and accuracy of your analysis data and conclusion. Michael Eric Dyson is right to say that um, well, he didn't say this, but to suggest that revolution is an intellectual endeavor above everything else. If your analysis, if, the, if, if your conclusions and understandings, if your assess assessments are inaccurate, if they are wrong, then any actions you take can, can more, well have led people to further entrench their oppression. But revolution being an intellectual endeavor then you have to say, well, what is intellectualism hmm. and where is it found? So in most educational institutions in the United States, you find more uh, indoctrination right. than, than, in, than education. Oh, it's my son out there. You find, um, just hearing some scratching. <laughs> my neighbor's dog is out on, <laughs> is out in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, it's in terms of intellectualism, does intellectualism come? What? Well, well, let me back up. Dr. Bobby Wright said the word educate means to bring out. And Dr. Bobby Wright said that the institutions of our oppressors cannot educate African people. So we receive education from our community. Right. But when we go to their institutions, we receive training on how to uh, to use or adapt or reform tools. You learn techniques, you learn methods, and you gain access. But if you do not have a pan-African or radical or revolutionary ideology, mindset, goal, it doesn't matter how gifted your hands are. You get in front of the world mm -hmm. and look like a goddamn buffoon. Ben Carson. Even you could be right. You can be <laughs> an inarticulate idiot, but yet you know how to carry out the actions of some of the most intricate action. That is a person who is highly trained in how to carry, utilize tools and carry out operations, but they're not well educated mm. in how to think and process. Mm -hmm. So we can train up the greatest black doctors in the world, but black people as a race, as a community, have the worst health outcomes. Right, right. Right. have the worst outcomes. We can train up the most fearless fighters in the world, Harlem Hell Fighters. Some of the greatest pilots, there's this new movie, propaganda movie coming out about the first black uh, fighter pilot in yeah, the U.S. military. I but didn't see yeah, the black people, trailer. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, Obama's a, a, a magnificent administrator. Mm -hmm. He's a magnet. I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-bureaucracy. Everybody, oh, I hate bureaucracy. I'm not anti-bureaucracy. I have a great appreciation for statecraft, mm. administration, and management. And Obama 
is great at it. Mm-hmm. But a man who identifies as black, how can he literally repair and resecure the state of his oppressor at the same time he oversaw the not just the crumbling and the further uh, disintegration of the black community, but went and destabilized entire regions right. of the Horn of Africa, North Africa, or left in economic and political stagnation, Sub-Saharan Africa, Haiti, you mm. know? Mm-hmm. So just having the intellectual side, just having the training or formal education means nothing to black liberation, black empowerment, black upliftment, if you don't have the true education, meaning coming from within. If you go to school without an agenda, we sending black kids off to universities without their own agenda. Right. So their agendas is implanted in their brain. Right. And we celebrate it when they come out, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Where did they get that from? We're going to study STEM. Where does that come from? Mm. What agendas come from us? So all that to say, we can't allow people like Dyson or Coates or Mark Lamont Hill to turn us off to academia, to turn us off to discourse, turn us away from intellectualizing. You know, I ain't with all that talk. I ain't with it. And I just see people every day I go online, I see black people. I ain't with, I'm about action. Yeah. What's directing that action? Right. What's coordinating that action? Right. What's determining whether or not that action will be effective or won't be effective? And what will you do when if you, the actions does not give you the outcome? How do you go about re, re-transforming that action to, so that the action feeds into the outcome that you seek? All of that is intellectual, mental work. Mm, right. So there has to be a marriage between the action and the emotion and the rage and the and the drive to the critical thinking analysis data collection data dissemination articulating what we do and why we do it to our people and amongst our people there has to be a marriage of that so revolution is an intellectual endeavor but just because someone's engaged in intellectual activity doesn't and they're black doesn't mean they're using their intellect yeah. on our behalf right Some people, black people, highly educated black people try to use their intellect not to resist the systems and institutions of white domination, not to dismantle capitalism and the capitalist. They use their brain power on how to pacify black people. Mm -hmm. They use their intellect to pacify. They use their intellect to confuse. Right. They use their intellect to further confuse or what they call obfuscate cloud issues. By making shit that is very complex seem simple and making things that are relatively simple, putting all these layers of complexity on there. And how do you know who's who? How do you determine? Someone stands up, Dr. Umar, I'm the prince of Pan-Africanism. How do you conclude, yes, he is the prince of Pan-Africanism and he's acting on behalf of us and we should follow and agree because he says a lot of things that sound very enlightening and attractive. How does, how do we determine whether or not we should embrace that or reject it, even the people we like. Right. So it is an intellectual endeavor, but you don't need a formal uh, education to engage in intellectual um, endeavors. You don't need a formal education. It is very valuable. If you're in a position to, you have the opportunity to, to, to secure one. There is a lot of value to be 
um, extracted from formal education institution, but there's also a lot of value to be attracted from lived experience. But you can go through hell on, or, or you can go through very enriching lived experience or you can go through very enriching formal education. But if your ideology is not grounded, it's right. going it, to what difference does it make? What does it matter? Whether your education came from formal uni the university or college system or, or your education came from the streets or the community. And I have no I have no doubt that. Online, they probably do uh, converse with a lot of people with some far out. Uh, type because you know I mean it's some crazy people out there, but at the same time, the elitism just rubs me the wrong way because it makes me think about you know like you mentioned brothers like Malcolm who I would say was an intellectual um, Fred Hampton, um, and it's like would you have these same type of well y'all guys don't have these phds you know and of course they would not and they couldn't do that publicly you know because the black community would shun them for it but it's just um whatever you it you know what it sounds like it it sounds like some web du bois talented tense shit before he evolved into what he became like do you see any similarities with some of these academics thinking that hey we are the talented tenth and we are going to be the ones to to lead us to liberation they're not even that they're worse than that i think the talented tenth i agree to, with du bois it was short-sighted it was mm -hmm. incorrect and he was right to abandon it mm -hmm. but they're not even that because remember he what did he want the talented tenth to do what was the specific mission and goal of the talented tenth so a lot of times if you look at these Negroes that talk about the black elites, their goal is to live good. And through their living good, they can inspire other black people to live good, to amass fiat, to obtain status, and to, to enjoy all the fruits of the empire. Right, right. So it, I wish it was, I wish we were fighting against a failed or short-sighted talent. It's much worse than that. Mm. It's so much worse than a, the talented tent. It's more of a, a of a petty bourgeoisie mm -hmm. because the talented tents weren't just supposed to be more talented than us. They were to utilize their talents on behalf of the on black behalf, race. Yes, for sure. The talented tent, if you look at the details, were to be servants of the black race. Mm. And they were leaders, but also servants. They were to construct and 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 guide us along a specific path from oppression to freedom. That was their goals. You don't even hear them saying that. So they, you can't even call them regressive. <laughs> so I think we give them too much credit when we call them talented too. Mm. Obama's not talented too. Right. Right. You know. So and and. Even elites is too strong a word. I know we have to use the language that 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 we know, but they're not true elites either. Mm. They don't only control means of production. They don't engage in statecraft, but the main characteristics of any population of elites that distinguish from one group of elites is conflict. Right. You know, elites are, or as Nas said about him and Biggie, he said the best are supposed to clash at the top. So when you look at true elites, one thing that defines the elites is they're in constant struggle against each other. Mm. Name, a name a population of elites that black elites struggle against. 
Mm. Now, I can tell you about conflicts. I can tell you about the Arab oligarchs and their fight against the Zionists. You know, I can tell you about the, 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 the Islamic elites and their fight against Christendom. I can tell you about the Eastern European oligarchs and their fight against the European uh, um, parliaments and, and their struggles and, and their, their tactical and ideological struggles. I can talk about Indian elite versus Pakistani elites. Mm, right. But who you is know, I can tell you about the tech. I can tell you about the technology, the tech elites and their fight against the old world uh, fossil fuel elites. Mm -hmm. Who do the black elites, mm -hmm. as you define them, name a population of elites that they're engaged in struggle against? I, it, it, they would put they would like to put out that they are in struggle against the Republican Party from what? No, I they're not. Well, again, mm -hmm. struggles against the Republican Party. They don't have an independent black party fighting. They fight through the Democratic Party. Right, right. So they are assets of the Democratic Party. Right. So you, they're not elites. Right, right. Even when Obama was president, he was literally the number one Democrat in the country, the number one man in the number in the second most powerful party in the United States. Mm. Right. Did he? What was Obama's agenda? Uh, Obama's entire political platform was a copy paste from the Clinton neoliberal platform. Obama's campaign staff consisted of former Bill Clinton campaign staff up until an in hiring his wife after she gave him a shakedown and disrespecting him on the world stage yeah. during the, the, the primary race. Right. So even when Negroes get elite titles, they have what is called elite bank accounts eight nine-figure bank accounts when they get in positions uh, uh chairman of the joint chiefs of staff heading the u.s military if they don't come with the black elite agenda what is the black elite agenda besides getting closer to and further embedded within the white elites and enjoying all the spoils of western capitalism Beyond that, what is the agenda of the white? And then helping a few other Negroes to get to that status. There is no black elite. Right. And right. It's, it, it hurts me that we call them that, but we don't have a better name for them. Well, there was, there's several names, the petty bourgeoisie or the, 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 what is called the pompadour or the compadour class. You know, the, 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 the what do they call, um, uh, there, there are several names right. for these people who wear all the finest clothes, you know, but and, and, and attend all the balls. They're on the red carpet. They're in the limos. But when decisions about management and domination of the world are made, those Negroes are sent out of the room. Mm. They come for parties. They come for the cocktails. They come for the flash photography and to be standing arm in arm with the elites. But when real decisions are being made about warfare, about resource extraction, well, when, about well, manipulating the very atmosphere of the planet, they're sent out of the room. But what's funny to me about that, uh, Brother Diallo, is maybe funny is not the right choice of words, but in like Obama, beloved figure in our community right but whenever I, I start to notice whatever differences um in the election cycle between democrats and republicans a lot of times when it comes to 
foreign policy that will further American foreign interests. It's like, it's all the same. What's the difference? Like, how, like whenever we look at what, who, no matter who's the, the president, whenever we look at what goes on overseas, what's different about one party to the next? Well, um, America has fixed agenda, goals, and principles. But America can vary greatly in methodology and tactics. Mm, okay. And there's also prioritization. Mm -hmm. So there is difference between Democrat and Republican. Mm -hmm. There are, in a lot of ways, the Democrats, the Democratic Party is a much better party than the Republican. There are some redeeming characteristics within the Democratic platform overall, where there is literally not one redeeming quality of the Republican. I have understanding and some sympathies for Black um, Democrats, yeah, but I sure. had but Black Republicans are race traitors. Yeah, most definitely. Now the problem is, I, I've always said, and I've had people get upset with me that I said that. Um, it is intellectually lazy to say that there's no difference between the Democrats and Republicans. And saying that they're acknowledging a difference is not an endorsement of one of the other. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between syphilis and gonorrhea. <laughs> Am I saying we should embrace one and reject the other? No, 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 not at all. And the reason you have to acknowledge the differences is because the tactics for opposition differ. Mm -hmm. If I, I live in a Democratic machine-controlled city mm -hmm. in a predominantly democratically controlled state. Mm -hmm. Governor is a Democrat. The state legislature is Democrat. The city council is predominantly Democrat. The mayor is a Democrat. And as you organize or engage within a system or try to cultivate struggle and organize, organize Black people in this environment is much different than when I lived in Missouri. That was predominantly Republican. It was the red state. So I don't say if you live in a Democratic state, you've reached home base, you're safe. Right, right. But it, so an example, a really good example. In Illinois, there is a moratorium on the death penalty. Mm -hmm. There still must be a criminal justice struggles here. Mm -hmm. There is still police brutality. There is still a extreme, obscene imbalance in budget priorities in terms of money going towards imprisonment, sanctions, extracting you know tickets, and 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 um, punitive policies, uh, the police budget and police training. There's all those struggles, but one struggle we don't got here is the death penalty. So we can reorient some resources and energies away from where we would have had to fight that mm -hmm. towards other issues within that arena and the larger. But if I lived in Missouri, they have the death penalty and they're killing black people. Mm -hmm. The state is executing black people and, and is enthusiastically doing it. So in addition to all that other work that we saw going on in Ferguson, Missouri, the Kansas City PD shot that pregnant woman a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. in addition to all that other work, they also have to have a larger movement towards abolition of the death penalty, removing people from death row. 
right. and exposing that atrocity. So right. depending on where you work and who's got, which party governs or has dominance or predominance, mm -hmm. if you live in a state where it's uh, democratic dominated, there is less chance for black people to negotiate for con concessions from the, the 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 local government because the Democrats don't really have to negotiate with you. But if you live in a purple state where there is a constant ebb and flow of which party takes, then you're in a very good position to go in and say, listen, if this policy isn't on the docket, then we walk. Mm. So they have to cater to you. Mm -hmm. In a red state, they can be like, you can't really get concessions or maneuver through these through the state. You have to do it through protest, resistance, subversion. So wherever you're organizing, and whoever's in power, you know, whether you live in a one party or, or, or contested state, it's the same thing with the economics. Some people live in company towns. Some people live in, 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 in completely blotted areas. You, some people, some areas of the country have no like wealthy blacks. Other areas where they have what I call these fiefdoms, where there's these wealthy, influential blacks, like you come to sh Chicago, there's very wealthy, influential black factions here in this society that you have to navigate through. And anything you're trying to do, they can lift it up or shut it down. So wherever you are organizing, you have to basically do an assessment mm -hmm. of where you are, what are the various relationships were, what is the level of, of development, of conscious development, how powerful are the local churches, you know, I was doing youth work on down on the Missouri Tennessee border, and if it didn't, if the church didn't give you a thumb up, there's nothing you could do there. Wow, the church would, and there was no this whole well, separation of church to state. But anyway, I'm getting a, a bit off. So, mm -hmm. in terms of the Democrats and the Republicans, they have things in common. They are both capitalist parties. They are both imperialist parties. I guess before you go any further, that's. Uh, that was the, what I was referring to when this there's similarities, meaning yes. that agenda being furthered. Um, yeah. Whenever you, not to cut you off, but I, I wanted to ask you because you brought up a point. Um, whenever, you, I, I know you've had these conversations a lot and I'm pretty sure you've talked to people who are extremely disillusioned with the whole thing as far as both parties are concerned, right? Um, what What's your idea on how we strategically, if the, for those that are a part of the political process, how we strategically get the things that we need, I guess that would make our lives a little bit better until like, you know, some real shit pops off. First, when black people are dealing with politics in general because to say call them capitalist uh to say that both parties are capitalist both parties are, are imperialist both parties support global white hegemony mm -hmm. both parties are, are zionist there's a lot of day-to-day -day shit those are very broad concepts right but when it comes down to the your grandma's insulin Mm. or your niece's housing voucher yeah, you know, yeah, or yeah. what are what chemicals or toxins are allowed into the food mm -hmm. you still got to deal with all that shit and a lot yeah. of times mm -hmm. we as revolutionaries we're like capitalism mm -hmm. and dealing with imperialism and we think that as we navigate that we can just ignore all this stuff and people that are concerned with the price of insulin are somehow 
lesser than us. Right, right, right. The people who want to stop the imperialist machine are 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 doing greater work than those who are trying to make sure people in our community have insulin or you know, it's, and it's and it the the even you saying that you know there are people in my family that I have conversations with often and this is something that they watch they're diabetic and they're watching you know the price of insulin like do these crazy numbers now and you know it's you're right I mean there are things within our day-to-day lives that we have to address. Um, we have to be able to, you know, make things a little bit easier for the elderly, the children, and these, and, and you're right. So I, I do understand and agree um, with that, but continue your point because I, I just know that some, like you said, even, and I've done this before, I've been guilty of this before, where I see capitalism, imperialism, white global domination, all of this shit happening overseas, Obama dropping bombs everywhere. And, you know, and then you get to the point where it's like, fuck both of them. But at the same time, you're right there. There's a process and there's like, okay, let me ask you this. So within being Martin Luther King day, and I've seen a lot of conversation and discussion online where people will say, the people that were fighting in uh, in the civil rights movement were integrationist and they were absolutely wrong for everything that they were doing. Do you think that that is an accurate assessment? Because whenever I speak, being from the South, especially whenever I speak (laughs) to like the elders, like I think we have this idea that every black neighborhood was a quote unquote black wall street. And even if it did have a black wall street, every black person within the community benefited from that black wall street. Like we have these ideas to where every, why would we want to integrate? And I'm not saying integration was a good thing in the long run, but I'm what I am saying is there was some facilities all throughout the rural South that weren't really up to par. I'm not saying that we we didn't have a, we couldn't have built them up, but I just wanted to know what your thoughts is on those who say that we got nothing out of the civil rights movement. Uh, then these are people who deny um, the evidence of history. And I've had people tell me things are worse now than before integration. And I think it's very disrespectful to, our history to to our ancestors really mm-hmm. and the struggle of our ancestors um i i say this quote often dr um i mean um dell jones said that um there was a time in this country where a black man could get a knock at the door and it's a message from a white man saying send your wife up to the big house i feel mm. frisky mm. and then the next night there's a knock at the door saying send your daughter up to the big house i'm gonna break her in Mm. You know, and then there's another night where where uh, there's a knock at the door and says, send your, your young child, send your young son up. I'm a, I'm a freak. Mm. And the black man had no recourse to either comply or have his home burnt down and to be publicly lynched and mutilated and, and burned alive in front of the whole community. Um, I have relatives in my family who've who 
that I knew that some of them have passed, but my my grandmother grew up in segregation and talked to me about the trauma of that era. Um, my wife's father gave, told her a story about when he would go to school in Mississippi and would see lynched bodies, mutilated body parts. He would see men buried up to their shoulders in the dirt and white boys would throw stones and bricks at their heads. And they would just cross the path and, and, and just have to look away. You know, bloated corpses. Emmett Till, um, we all know Emmett Till's name. But do you know what made Emmett Till stand out? It wasn't the fact that he was killed in the way he was killed. That's what not what made Emmett Till stand out. Because that was routine behavior. The thing that solidified Emmett Till's name in the history books was the fact that the mother wouldn't allow him to be buried without a public display of the body. Mm, right. But back in the day, when you had a family member that was lynched, you weren't looked at as a victim. You were looked at as someone who didn't know how to go along to get along. Mm. Malcolm X wrote about in his biography, after his father was murdered and cut in half, had his body mutilated, his mother couldn't get a job. So down in 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 and then lynching didn't just happen in the south. Right. In the south they hung us from trees. In the north they hung us from light posts. Right. The reason why most of the lynching happened in the south is because ninety percent of black people lived in the south at that era. Most definitely. But they saw as black people started having what is falsely called the Great Migration, which it was not a Great Migration, is they started seeing racialized violence. Mm. The Red mm. Summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So people are like, oh, the North, it wasn't because the North was less racist. It's just that the North had fewer black people. Mm -hmm. Right. And we saw that as more black people begin to migrate West and North, we saw that white aggression was just as, in fact, Dr. King said that one of the most racist places he had been to was the North side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. He faced the most vicious racist. That's mm -hmm. where that photo of that brick grazing his cranium, that wasn't taken down South where, where we got images of Dr. King being pelted by bricks and, 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 and cups of urine. That came from the North. So um, anyway, it is, it is disgusting that black people today where, you know, even though things are bad, we don't have to, utilize, to discount the progress we made, we don't have to discount the atrocities of a past to highlight the injustices of today. The injustices of today, murder by police, the medical malpractice, the medical murder, the genocidal uh, uh, policies, the erosion of education, the, the, the targeting and, and disruption and maladaptations of the black family, those are all problems we face today that we have to address, but we don't have to discount or fantasize about where we came from in order to highlight or emphasize how bad things are now. There mm -hmm. has been progress, but Dr. Amos Wilson said, if we look at history, we have to know that history is not a, 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 a status where people continue to progress. You can have progress and regression. There has been some accomplishments and sustained progress, and there has been some regression. There have been many things gained, and there have been some things lost. And we need a sober assessment of what that is. Right. It's reactionary to say things are better back then, or they want to go back to back then. My great-grandfather was a brilliant man, and 
uh, he was mangled. Mm. He worked a job where he didn't have HIPAA. Mm -hmm. he, he didn't have OSHA policies. He was working a job where he was paid in cash and it was inconsistently paid. He didn't have legal recourse. One of his hands were mangled and the physician, he lost several fingers on a hand and the company told the company physician conflict of interest and the insurance company all under the same umbrella said, sew the fingers back on because we only pay him per finger. So leave two fingers off. We'll pay him for two and sew two fingers back on. And the fingers were improperly reattached and they necrosed. My grandfather mm. was crippled mm. and it wasn't no lawsuit. And you got brothers today going to work in air conditioned cubicles, talking about things were better <laughs> back then with OSHA protection. Right. right. So I'm not saying that it is that we've reached a promised land. Right. I think black people, we need to intensify our struggles. I think the shame is on us because we got more tools today at our disposal mm. and we're doing less with more. So our ancestors were fighting in much more hostile conditions with much fewer resources, physical, material, and cultural and ideological resources, and organizing under worse, much more dangerous conditions. Right. And so, so people to be organizing in the 2000s, Black people to be organizing who take up the struggle, who take the baton from our ancestors to, to try to downplay what they went through or even fantasize and idealize what things went on back then that really disgusts me. And I'm tired of hearing that because I'm hearing it from all sides, even from people I respect. Things were better back then. Things were not better back then. Things were not better back then. And you're looking at these statistics without doing any in-depth analysis, 70%, two-parent households, all that. Yeah, they like to bring that one up a lot. Yeah. But I tell you, like I said, my, there's so many brilliant Africans that never had the opportunities that we have today. And when we do take advantage of those opportunities, we squander it. Individualism. Right. Like I say all the time, my great grandmother was very Afrocentric. And if you had called her African, she would have thought you were trying to insult her. Mm. But the way she lived her day to day life in a communal fashion mm -hmm. was very African. Wasn't no childcare industry. Mm -hmm. So there were some good things that we had, but we traded and we lost the good shit. And then we want to lie and act like it was all good because we lost some of the good uh, characteristics and good practices and cultural characteristics that we lost back then. But we don't have to pretend like those good characteristics stopped one bullet, stopped mm -hmm. our ancestors from hanging from rope, stopped our children from having malnutrition. Right. Rickets. Right. And other diseases of malnutrition, shortened stature, lack of, 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 of cognitive development and fetal development was rampant throughout the black America. We were starving to death. We had basically famines and, um, in this country. And I'm not saying hunger is still an issue now, but come on. We we don't need to distort the truth. Right. You know, we don't need to distort reality in order to enlighten our people. And in fact, if you are distorting reality, you're not teaching, you're not educating, you are manipulating and indoctrinating. Right. Um, no, I, yeah, that's, that's real. Um, I remember... <clears throat> reading a, reading a uh, speech that uh, Du Bois had at uh, Johnson C. Smith, where I think it was on the hills of integration more than, and um, he, Johnson C. Smith is a historically black university in Charlotte. And he was um, speaking about how 
and through integration, you know, we would uh, lose our culture. Um, he said that we would be moved very, very far away from Africa. Um, <laughs> you don't agree? Um, because I, well, before you before you go in, the reason and you could, some may agree, um, because if we look at ourselves now as a whole, it seems to be that we are obviously assimilating within to American culture. Um, but we've been doing, but the thing about it is, is we were doing that at that time as well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But go ahead. That's why I, that's all you said. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we were all Afrocentric militants until Dr. King had a dream? Right, 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 right. There were patriotic Negroes throughout since the Emancipation Proclamation. Right. Since the first ne black man got his U.S. citizenship, since the signing of the 14th, in fact, black people have been one of the most loyal and patriotic demographics. You know, black people have been more loyal than any other ethnic racial group in this country. Right. So, right. Yeah. Even during Jim Crow, we were still patriotic and integrated into the American system. Well, mm -hmm. I, I don't understand why why we pretend like integration. The, I'm anti-integrations. Right. I think right. invested way too much and mm -hmm. got such a minor return. I am not an integrationist. I think integrationist movement subverted the true movement, which is liberation. To me, right. integration is synonymous with surrender. Right. Integration is synonymous with uh, uh, erasure. So I'm not championing, championing integration. But, I mean, integration is bad enough. We don't have to pretend that it did shit it didn't do. We can just focus <laughs> on what it actually did do. Right, right. You know, you ain't got to lie, Craig. You know, integration, <laughs> it was a bad call. It's bad. It was bad then and it's bad now. Mm -hmm. We had uh, people calling it out back then and we should, still, still should call it out now. It is right. a fail. Back then it was a reactionary and a short-sighted policy. Today it is a abject failure. Right. And we've got over half a century of evidence to demonstrate the failures of racial integration and desegregation. Now we have a half century of, of data to show how that failed. Before, when Malcolm X was saying integration and, and Malcolm X and Kwame Ture were denouncing integration, they were speculating. Mm -hmm. They were using history. They were using uh, uh, analysis, radical analysis. But it wasn't no concrete evidence they could point to because we weren't integrated at that right, time. Right. So all the promises of integration, you couldn't say whether they would be fulfilled or not. Well, you could say they were right in their assessment. It mm -hmm. did play out as the black radicals said it would play out. But now there's no denying it. And right now, the black leaders, the leading blacks, cultural, political, economic, black, upper echelon, are now saying the solution to the failings of integration is more integration, more aggressive integration. How, how what more? And even we... a lot of blacks like Dr. Umar, they're not liberationists. They're aggressive, radical. They're militant integrations. How, how can we integrate even more than where what we've already done? More black lawyers, more black doctors, more black entrepreneurs, <laughs> more black billionaires, more black Grammys, more black Golden Globes. <laughs> another black president, maybe a black female president, maybe a black queer. Uh, a female president, you know, black first in America still. Yeah, that's so that's more integration. Yeah, okay. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's um like that's that whole more money for HBCUs, more funding <laughs> for HBCUs, more black cops. Okay, brother Diallo, just for more black men head of households, more alpha males. <laughs> <laughs> Even the militants want more integration. They want to live whiter than white people. They want Judeo-Christian values and hierarchies. Um, and I'm with you. I am. My stance on integration was obviously completely. I've read enough to know that it was a failure. I've seen things now to understand that it was a failure. My thing is, I'm just not as. I can. Be I can judge the 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 policies that were created then, right? But <clears throat> sometimes I feel like we're overly judgment judgmental of the people that were actually going through it, right? And you kind of brought that up with your um, whenever we were speaking about integration as a whole, and I, and that's the only thing, like you know. Uh, you know, such and such was weak, and and you know, if it was me back then, I would have did this. That kind of talk is just, yeah, I well, hate that kind of shit. The people didn't want integration. The black leaders did. Right, right, right. The people wanted their land. They wanted proper compensation. They wanted an ability to get a uh, uh, just pay for for the work they do. They wanted education and security. Right. The people had very specific and what I call pedestrian and practical demands. Mm -hmm. The black masses did not desire to be physically closer. They did not want more proximity with white people. The average black person utterly despised the average white person. Right. And the average black person was more comfortable in the company and living. And when black people even had the resources to move away, they stayed amongst ourselves. And that was the basic disposition of black people mm. then and mm. to a lesser extent, but still dominant now. Black people, by and large, prefer to live, prefer to be educated by and to give education to, to marry and, and, and intermingle with and eat our own goddamn food. We don't mm. want them goddamn raisin <laughs> casseroles. <laughs> so where did this myth that black people were under the impression in fact they had to sell black people on integration they mm. weren't just promoting integration to white people they were uh, simultaneously promoting it to blacks mm. the great american melting pot the great american melting pot because again if you talk to my great grandmother in public she says oh i love everybody because jesus love everybody but if you talk to her behind the scenes, she's like them peckables that ain't no good. Same shit. Same, same or shit. Or the bugger got no shame. They got no shame. They shameless folks. Stay away <laughs> from over there. Mm -hmm. We wanted nothing. We were, we knew how aggressive, how hypocritical, how degenerate our oppressor was. Right. Our leaders packaged and sold integration to us at the same time they were asking, requesting it requesting it from them mm. Mm. and so in order to get ahead if you wanted to be a black person of status the black remember without the the blacks they started demonizing black separatists 
Right. You're a black separatist. No. You're a black militant. And no. you go look at the media from that time. Especially Malcolm and Elijah Muhammad. You go look at the media and the propaganda from that time. You go look at the, the, the movies. You go look at the so-called black exploitation movies. And anytime a black person came with red, black, and green, leather, militant, whenever they came, they were always lying. First of all, they were dishonest. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were militant and angry on the surface, but deep, deep down, they were only angry because they couldn't get into white women. Right, right, right. There was a movie called The Black Gustapo. Mm. And the movie starts off as a beautiful adventure of a black man who was a member of a progressive organization and the white cops and the white people were raping and, 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 and committing atrocities against our community and he went to the leader of this pacifist organization and says listen let me form a cadre let me form a coalition of a brother who gonna handle this type of stuff and we won't even come to the meetings we will be a separate guerrilla faction and the leaders the, the guy who was the leader of that peaceful organization his girlfriend was assaulted by two cops Mm. And that chose is like, yes, we need an armed, we need the Black Panther Party for self-defense, which is political community based, but we also need a black liberation army. Right. To do right. Extra legal shit. And the guy was handling his business. He literally castrated the white cop that assaulted this sister. But then when he took over, he was worse than the white man. <laughs> he was worse. So they there was that message was even in the 90s. They weren't done. Go back and look at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm -hmm. Go back and look at the Cosby show. Anytime there was a black person that had any type of cultural consciousness, they were played as a hypocrite and or a villain or a buffoon. Mm. I said, if man, anything that was pro-black was buffoonery, uh, insincere or hypocritical. So they did a lot to black people. We tend to think that we were sitting around talking about we want to be equal. We want to sit next to white folks on the bus. We want to drink out the same fountain as these people. We know how they live and we was cleaning their house. Right. We know how they live. Right. So we didn't want to eat at they or we want to eat at their lunch counter. The the Trojan horse was the schools. Um, you know, right. Right. So, but my grandmother, not to cut you, but my grandmother, she like she told me that it was no, my own mother actually. Um, her experience with the black school that she went to was so much better and so much more communal. So it was than, mine. Yes, yeah. I didn't have my first white teacher was when I was in special ed. Mm. I was in special ed. They, they, they flunked me. They held me back a grade and said something was wrong with my brain. And they put me in special ed. That's the first time I had a white teacher. Wow. But all the schools I went to, uh, all black schools and all black neighborhood, all black teachers, all black janitors, all black principals, all my prince, every principals of my grade school up until I got to middle school. I was hopping around middle schools. I went to several middle schools, but it, you know, I, then I first had some female black women and black men who were principals at that mm -hmm. in middle school, but through grade school, I went to several grade schools too. Cause you know, housing instability, right, <laughs> you right. know, so, and I was homeless at parts of my childhood. And so I went to several schools, but all black teachers. And then I spent one year in special ed, had a white teacher, worst school year of my life. 
mm. in many respects. And then after that, back to it. And then and then I got into trouble and I got expelled. And so they put me in Catholic school to keep me from having to go to like the reform school. So that was the first time I had like a mix of white and, and, and black teachers because I went to a private Catholic school through freshman to senior year. Mm. But my my middle school and grade school, predominantly black. Mm. And this is I'm not that old. I look old, but, you know, I went to grade school <laughs> in the 80s and 90s, you know, so, so that was in the post integration, post civil rights era. So when we talk about like, you know, like Thurgood Marshall and uh, and the lawyers at Howard, um, obviously they began to bring up the Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, the separate um, but equal type of thing. Right. So right. was what was. The, the NAACP was a bourgeois organization. Mm -hmm. That's why they went and got Harriet Tubman. Sisters, you know, young black single mothers, Coven, Claudette Coven, there were black women and black men sitting on the front of that bus and telling them crackers to get out their face. Yeah. They're going to sit Polly where they Murray want to sit because they paid their money. Mm -hmm. Huh? Said Polly Murray did it 15 years before. It rose right. Before. But the NAACP said, well, we can't have these inarticulate, inarticulate Negroes. Right. We can't have a single mother or some some brogue iron overall wearing Negro. We needed a polished, dainty little lady, the fairer her skin, the better, mm -hmm. and a little pillbox hat tilted, mm -hmm. who had a respectable job, who knew how to articulate. And that was a political theater. Mm. I think we need to start acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the black people weren't sitting on the front of the bus because that's where the white folks sit. They were sitting there because they paid their money and they were tired and they sat where the hell they wanted to sit. It was about our dignity, not about integrating with white people, but preserving black dignity and right. self-respect. And the NAACP, going all the way back, probably one of the best researchers we had to, to really blow this up, uh, Dr. Uh, William Mackey, and his essays on called The History and Betrayal of the NAACP. That mm was founded by white people. And to this day, it is predominantly funded by white people. And again, NAACP, again, they promoted and indoctrinated the black community into integration. Integration, we think integration was something that we asked white people for. No, it is something that was, that was sold to us as aggressively as it was pushed on the white majority. If I saw, I've, I've seen some civil rights activists of that time um, speak about how the conditions, I guess, made them feel as if, well, it was a, like an, an esteem, an esteem issue with black people in the black community having, not having full access to anywhere they would want to go within a nation, um, having to- yeah, that, that was definitely an issue. Mm -hmm. That was definitely an issue, but as and 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 the surveys also demonstrate, black people wanted to repeal the Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. But again, it wasn't so that they could rub shoulders with white people. people. It was so that we could navigate this system. It was about preserving our human dignity. Right. And it got warped into thinking black people, the white ice is colder, and white people want it. And it's true, we did. We fell for it. We we mm -hmm. we took the 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 poison pill. Right. 
Claude yeah. Anderson writes quite a bit about how black people, when the, the storm gate was opened and you could go up in the fancy white hotels, the black masses like, well, you know, who cares staying in these black boarding houses and a lot of the things that sustained us prior to uh, desegregation. No longer good enough. We, 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 yeah, we fell for it, but it, mm -hmm. we, it was sold on us. Right, right. Can you imagine? You got black people, black people been selling barbecue in, in, in the black community for generations. And then you go to Dickies. <laughs> after 1968, black folks going to eat white folks' food. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's real. Um, so, yeah, I agree. We fell for the okie doke, mm -hmm. but it was a deliberate and targeted. Uh, campaign. I think that's where a lot of people don't realize and understand the fact that it, it was deliberate and targeted. Um, just the like most popular movement prior to the civil rights movement was what the Back to Africa movement. Mm, right, that right was on. our natural mm -hmm. inclination. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the message that was most receptive. Black people predominantly worked in agriculture at that time. And Garvey said, there's a place with a lot of land and a lot of people that look like us and very few and next to no people that look like them. And black people was like, sign me up. Right. And sharecroppers, illiterate sharecroppers gave Garvey millions of dollars to buy boats to get us the hell out of here. Right. So when we were able to organize without white indoctrination and white interference, our natural inclination was, was to go back home to Africa or create little Africa's here. Also, if you look at the early organizations, they were not Negro organizations. They weren't even black organizations. They were African. The earliest organizations after emancipation were all called African. Yep. African Lodge, African Methodist Episcopal. We African called ourselves Muslims. African. Mm -hmm. So it took... A lot of time and a lot of resources to get the black people to default to integration and equality. Right. We wanted we, the black separatists, were the strongest voice that drowned out everyone else. And they had to give Dr. King the Nobel Peace Prize and the biggest platform, satellite broadcast, NBC, ABC, and broadcast like, no, no, this is the way you want to go. This is the way to freedom. Because mm -hmm. our natural default was back to Africa and separatism. Right. And like you it said, it wasn't because we're hostile, we're xenophobic people. We're quite the opposite. Our characteristics is quite xenophilic. Mm. But like I said, we were very close. It's like, oh, we won't. We separation was never a problem. White people would hire black women to suckle white babies at their breast. We cleaned their food. Their, we cleaned their homes. We did their laundry. Right. We raised a goddamn little badass kid. We, who you think was scrubbing the pots in the kitchen? Mm. Who you think, if they weren't, if we weren't cooking the foods directly, they were trying to mimic our recipes. So this whole thing, the blacks and whites were separate. And then we brought them together. Mm -hmm. We were mm -hmm. fully integrated. The problem was never proximity. It was always power. Mm. White people had no issues with our presence if they had power over us. Right. White people didn't run out to the suburbs to after black people said, you put your hands on me, I'm going to fuck your shit up. If you disrespect me, I'm going to smack the shit out you. That's when they oh, I can't live around these people. Oh, the inner city is a dangerous place. That's They only got away from us when we said we're no longer going to allow you to treat us in a subhuman fashion. And that's when they figured out, I can't live around these people. Mm -hmm. I can't let my kids go to school with this. Prior to that, we were well in, ingrained. We knew all their intimate secrets. Yeah. We were their custodians in their corporate high rises. 
So we got this notion that white people want to be separate from us. White flight, the dumbest word I ever heard from white flight. And we think white people moved away from us because we was black and they weren't black. When they moved away from us because the power dynamic shifted. And I promise you, as you look at these organizations like the Proud Boys, uh, the Tea Party, the MAGA movement, and you look at Diamond and Silk, when you look at these buffoonish Kanye West, white folks, is, uh, some white supremacists, white skinhead, white aggressors went and created a huge banner and threw it over the highway. Kanye's right. Mm. And there are Negroes, there are six sellout, cool, handkerchief head, Uncle Tom Negroes to this day who go to trailer parks and go and maneuver and black Confederates. Right. So, yeah, white people know how to accept our presence if it's in a position of extreme subordination and dehumanizing positions. Mm. And there are black people that rock and be around some of the biggest racists. And so you know, Donald Trump been a racist all his life and he's taking <laughs> pictures with every prominent Negro in the world. Right. Because right. those Negroes know their place. Um, the big bad, what's that football player? Uh, Jim Brown. Yeah. He said in an interview, I was in the Playboy Mansion and I never experienced racism because I knew how to behave myself. I got in the proper chair and I stayed in that chair until I was given permission to get up. You hear Negroes to this day, you walk around like, I've never had a problem with cops. I've never had a problem. I've never experienced remember, uh, racism. You remember that Lil Wayne interview? Right. <laughs> yeah, right, Lil Wayne. Because Lil Wayne's a minstrel. They love minstrels. They love Black people who will not only degrade themselves, but be willing to degrade and dehumanize their own people. Mm. So this is never, so even getting in, we can be in close proximity with them and still be under genocidal oppression and losing ground. Or we could be segregated, most segregated school district. And my son goes, I think he said there's two white kids in my son's entire school. Mm -hmm. And he said they're the most progressive, woke, they radical people. They're like, white kids, they're white kids. Bless them white kids. I don't know who they are. But my son goes to all black school, black principals, predominantly black teachers. Those and and he, my son does not feel segregated. Right. Right now in this town, you got children of affluent, children of black doctors and black physicians fighting to get their kids up on the north side and up under these. When we got independent African centered schools, predominantly black public schools. Right. Right. You know, so this shit integration was something that we were indoctrinated into. It's not our natural default. So that's but what I, I we don't have you. to lie about what it is and and where what it means though. Yeah, no, it's yeah, that's that's real. And like how we were building about the, uh, the, some of the initial ideas of what liberation looked like was back to Africa, and, and it wasn't obviously just Garvey. You know, people like Martin Delaney, a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of um, brothers and sisters that. Um, uh, you know, after emancipation and even during emancipation, well, before, you know, had these thoughts um, and these ideas and these ideas would go through our, flow through our community and they would gain steam. And, you know, Marcus Garvey to me, obviously would be the culmination of all that. But let's say he was never deported. No, no. Why would America, um, who especially then in those days give the and they still do to this day let's not get it twisted but give you the the impression that they do not want you here right but going back to africa like hell no nah, we gotta stop we gotta stop that movement like 
you don't want us here. You don't want us to go back to Africa. What's that whole idea? What kind of mind games are they playing? Um, I mean, do you mean in the modern era? Or no, I meant like back then in the Black Power movement with, you know, you had the separatists and you had, uh, and even within Garvey's movement, right? But there were, like, especially then because racism was more overt, right? And in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, but why would they want to thwart these movements if they did not want us here? Uh, they wanted, well... There, you know, there was a very successful back to Africa movement. You mean with ACS? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they 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 transplanted a large population of black people there. And the black people there went there and began to behave like white people. Yes. yes. They, they set up a discriminatory government. The they yeah. began mm -hmm. to re repress mm -hmm. and, and systematically murder. Yeah. The, the indigenous people of Liberia, they even created a little American flag. It looks just like the U.S. Yeah. flag, except it's one star instead of 50. Right. So yeah. the problem with Garvey going back is not that Garvey wanted to go back to Africa. It's the ideology. Mm. It's the ideology. Garvey wanted to unify Africans and have Africans self-governing. Gar Garvey didn't want to go to Africa and replicate white governance. He wanted to go there and institute African governance on Africa for Africans. Not to be agents or proxies or puppets of the West, but to be self-determined. Because, mm. I mean, if you got the right ideology, they don't care where you go. Right, right. You know, so it was more so an issue about Garvey's ideology more so than um than um yeah I got that I didn't physically go to, to Africa, Africa itself yeah like I, right I, now yeah. you got Jay-Z owns a home well that's well, look that's I was about to ask you they're not gonna <laughs> stop him <laughs> you just uh you kind of I saw the back and forth you had with the famous rapper and um him saying that you know like they're the answer for Africa right. um you know these celebrities that go there um do you like what do you are their intent what do you think their intentions are do, do, they do, they are trojan horses you you mentioned the the concept of trojan horses they the issue is china is outpacing uh the united states in terms of influence in africa we're under the system of neo-colonialism and the United States government is equipped for traditional colonialism. Traditional colonialism is military occupation, military overthrow. So the United States is very skilled at carrying out coup d'etats uh, with fomenting uprisings and destabilizing governments using uh, what is called, are you familiar with uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman? Oh, I, I haven't read the book. Um, well, he said there's three stages. You have the economic hitman, mm -hmm. you have the jackals. So the economic hitman come there and basically buy people off, bribe people and, and, and shunt resources and money around in order to get the will of the West. And they, even though they act on behalf of the U.S. government, they are not government agents. They work for... Um, multinational corporations and the basically the multinational corporations get federal grants and federal funding to have these people who are on private payrolls that way if they can get caught there's plausible deniability to go to africa and manipulate africa's politics for the interest of the west and then you have the jackals if the economic hitmen you have africans who aren't willing to be bought off patrice lumumba you know um 
um, Steve Biko, uh, Kwame Nkrumah. You mm -hmm. have African mm -hmm. leaders who aren't willing to be bought off by the hitmen, the economic hitmen. They send in what is called the jackals. The jackals are saboteurs and assassins. So they do small scale disruption and destabilization to get the people to turn against their government. Oh, the government is not competent. The water's contaminated. They had this major uh, uh, sewage project and there were all these problems and delays and materials couldn't come and, and the ship was sunk or, or there was a collapse in a building that was going up housing or schools and you know the schools being built and the next day the, 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 the scaffolding is all gone and the corruption. And so those were the jackals who do that shit. If that fails, then they send in the Marines. So that is traditional colonization and manipulation. And even with traditional colonization, they would have puppet leaders like Mobutu Sese Seiko. And I would even say Mugabe, Jomo Kenyatta, the neo-colonial puppets. And the United States is masterful. So you had two stages of neo-colonialism or First, the first colonialism was direct colonialism. And the, the champions of that were the British Empire, followed by the French and they outpaced uh, uh, the, the Germans, they outpaced the Italians, the Portuguese, and the Spanish. The first one were the Spanish, but that's a different epoch in history. Yes. That's pre-industrial, pre-capitalist white aggression. But And so you had direct colonization. After that, you had the first phase of neocolonialism with the puppet regimes and all that. And that was when U.S. took over from Great Britain as the, the seat of white power. But now you have even a neo-neo. It's a whole new, it's, it's neoliberal colonialism and the neoliberal post. And this type of colonialism is, is the um, post-Soviet or post-Cold War colonialism. So you had neo-colonialism, then you have post-Cold War colonialism. And China is outpacing the U.S., so China come, doesn't come with jackals and hitmen. They come with projects. China has a trillions of dollars of U.S. capital and really U.S. debt. So the U.S. promises China to pay, promise to pay China because the U.S. is in debt to China. And then China goes and, and, and distributes those promises. It's all paper. It's all made up shit. Right. There's no real, our real material resources, our yeah. bauxite, our coltan. Our shipping, our, mm -hmm. our, our shipping lanes, our Africa's uh, um, coastal reserves, all that shit, real concrete shit. And we're taking the debt from the U.S. And <laughs> yeah. that is promised to China and we're accepting China's jet. So if, if the U.S. defaults and that's why they're like, oh, China could shut us down because everything's made in China. If China does that, then China would collapse, too. Mm. So they frenemies. Right. But anyway. All that to say, let me try to shorten this. <laughs> this is very interesting to me. This is, you know, political science, yeah. policy, international politics. But the bottom line is United States is being outpaced because the United States is still using outdated tactics and nobody likes it. The last big move was Gaddafi and Obama. Obama and did so economic sanctions. Is considered then he tax. brought in the drone bombs. Then mm -hmm. he armed and, and drove the, 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 the fundamentalist insurgents, destabilized the whole region. Mm -hmm. Whereas China comes in and says, listen, we'll do a dam. We'll do a highway. We'll put in a water system. We'll give wire you up for, for internet. Mm -hmm. And so they come in with their money. It's the same goal to extract Africa, to put in as little into Africa as possible to get out as much as possible. It's a colonial extractatory. And this is another thing. China needs land. 
China's ecosystem is highly contaminated through being the production center for industrial capitalism. They have a contaminated population. They have an obscene imbalance, male to female imbalances. So basically, just like every other foreign empire, Africa's the solution to many of China's problems. And China is using modern techniques and tactics to come there. So they don't send hitmen, they don't send jackals, they send engineers, they send physicians, they send surveyors. And so the United States is behind. So the United States says we don't have the capital to compete with China because they got our money. Mm-hmm. We gave them all our money for, to make our iPhones and Jordans. So we don't have the money. And when we use our drones, we got the weapons because that's where our, the money we didn't, the money we do have, we spent on weapons. And all our infrastructure and manufacturing shit is overseas because we could generate great profit. So we don't really have the capital. We don't have the the the, the mass projects like United States doesn't have high speed rail. You know, right. United States, I mean, the fucking bridges are collapsing here. Yeah. So how are we going to be building infrastructure in Africa? when the, So what we do have is culture. We got the most fire music. We got the Marvel DC universe. <laughs> we got the swag. The Negroes here, everybody around the world, you go to China. People's like, what's up, my nigga? Mm. You have artists, you talk to them. They go to Belarus. They go to Turkey. They go to Turkmenistan. They go to Indonesia, people who don't know English, and they rap word for word. And ain't even the modern stuff. Chief Keep going all over the world. You go there, Biggie Smalls, Tupac. T-shirts, Biggie Smalls and Tupac. I was just, uh, went to a talk given by Danny Boy. Mm-hmm. And he talked about he was yeah, in bro. rural Africa, where they didn't even have uh, 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 electricity. Like, at night, it was pitch black. Mm-hmm. They were had, like, it was like a steampunk. It was like gas power generators lit up wow. the whole town. There was no electrical infrastructure. But they had Tupac T-shirts. They didn't speak English, but they could go line for line. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Can't speak English, but they could do Biggie Smalls with a U.S. accent, a Brooklyn accent. So that's what the United States has. It has culture, cultural influence, and Black cultural icons. Ain't no Black cultural icons in China. They ain't no black cultural icons. So mm-hmm. many of these people, Dave Chappelle, many of these, uh, um, who was it? Somebody was telling me they were going to, to Ghana. Some celebrity said, oh, I told Jay-Z I was going to Ghana. And Jay-Z pulled out his phone and showed me pictures of his villa in Ghana. Mm-hmm. These black people are trying to buy the U.S. time to catch up with China or to displace China. Now, the United States is still saying, let's go back to the old ways. That's what AFRICOM is all about. Right. They want to do it old school because they were like, well, weapon for weapon, gun for gun, bullet for bullet. Can't nobody step to us. But China's like, I'm not trying to shoot it out with you. Mm-hmm. I'm just putting money on the table. You put bombs on the table and let the Africans decide who they want to exploit them in the 2000s. Hmm. So either way, Africa loses. Right. I'm not saying Africa should choose China over the United States. Right, right. Africa should choose Africans. And there are some leaders, there are some organizations, movement of the people, the economic freedom fighters, people who understand this game that I'm laying out better Mm -hmm. than I do Mm because they're on the front lines of it. But when you got black celebrities going there saying, we're going to open schools, (laughs) but they don't ever share the curriculum. No, yeah, you never see that. 
And they don't even ask to see it. Right. I mean, shit, we're going to ask about the the, the the Ghanaian school's curriculum. They didn't ask LeBron, can we see your curriculum? Right. What are right. the credentials of your administrators? Right. Right. We see pictures of an elaborate school with Nike shoes all over the wall. And we're like, thank you, LeBron. <laughs> when we talk about China um, and, and leftist communities, though, especially I've, I've seen this from both black and white leftists. Where um, we do see what China is doing in Africa, but they still continue to look at China as a symbol. Like they did, like like they don't talk about Cuba right as much as they talk about China. Why is the left? What's why is the leftist community so infatuated with China? Like right now, uh, there's a lot of myth that we have about China. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of pro-black people, you even going back to Farrakhan and even uh, a lot of modern type black, they think that they look at the Chinese economic miracle. So they were like, we can build Chinatowns and Africa can do what China did. But they ignore the millions of millions of death. They think China just China was under British colonialism and all of a sudden they decide let's organize and be powerful <laughs> and then they right. they organize and be powerful <laughs> they ignore the the communist revolution they ignore the boxer rebellion they ignore the famines they ignore the second cultural revolution mm -hmm. they ignore china's path that it took to get here they want to skip over all that and go from colonized to liberated and they want to go from uh, uh third world country status to 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 uh the second biggest economy so they ignore the specific past of China. And I don't think that black people should or need to follow ch China's path because China is not a communist country. It's an authoritarian state. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, it has a, a, a an authoritarian uh, po uh, political system with a capitalistic economy. You know, so mm -hmm. but a lot of black people they see the 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 the, the hammer and sickle. They mm -hmm. hear the communist rhetoric, but mm -hmm. the communist rhetoric of China is akin to the democratic rhetoric of the United States. Ah. The United States says, "Oh, this is a democratic country. This is a country of opportunity. And if you're willing to work hard and uh, grind and hustle and mm -hmm. and and earn your leisure, then you can make <laughs> it." And ignore the, the 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 material reality that the vast majority of people born in this country are going to live and die in the class they're born into. This is a medieval serfdom, yes. uh, feudalistic type economy. And we think we're not feudalistic because instead of having rakes and hoes, we got iPhones, but it is basically a feudalistic uh, uh, economy run by oligarchs. And China is a, um, is a um, authoritarian state also run by economic and well they have here we have an economic elite who run everything but like the the soviet union in china in this authoritarian stalinist system um they have a political elite so you get money through politics mm -hmm. right and here you get politics through money you know? <laughs> right right but it's pretty much the same outcome so china's not actually um communist because mm -hmm. communist is, is the dictatorship of the proletariat. Communism, the ultimate goal of communism is a dissolution of the state. But right. the problem with trying to do communism mm -hmm. is communism and socialism is oriented towards meeting the needs of the people. Mm -hmm. And warfare 
and perpetual ongoing conflict is anathema to socialist economic systems. Mm -hmm. So socialists are not very good at waging war. So when nations try to go socialist, they come under what is now being called siege socialism. Like, you know, if you say you're socialist and you're operating lawfully within your own nation's borders and you're following lawfully your own nation's constitution, you will still come under economic sanctions and subversion by the West. Mm. Right. Wow. It happened in uh, Grenada. It happened. It's happening right now in Venezuela. Mm. It's happening right now in um, Brazil. It happened in Haiti with the Lava Loss movement. So really, it we can't go off and do socialism without revolutionary Pan-Africanism. Mm. We have to dismantle the systems and institutions of white domination, white hegemony and capitalism, their military infrastructure, all of that. We can't simply build, focus on our own business. Yeah. That, that is a luxury we can't afford. We cannot, black liberation cannot coexist with western hegemony western capitalism so it is literally a fight to the death between these systems that's what according to some people well that, that's the last thing i wanted to ask you and thank you again for coming on i always appreciate your insight um whenever we look at liberation now in 2023 and uh you know obviously we were talking earlier about voting and some of the benefits of voting but we also know we're not going to vote ourselves free, right? Um, what does liberation look like for oppressed people in America now? Uh, for black people, I can't speak to. There's a lot of oppressed populations. True. I, well, let's I, say I for black people. Yeah, let's say for, for us. <laughs> there's no such thing as black American liberation. Mm -hmm. Black people can only get liberated through a global because our Oppression isn't local. Our oppression isn't national. If Black people in the United States were oppressed and that oppression was isolated and separate and apart from the oppression African people experience across the globe, then we can talk about Black American liberation. Mm -hmm. But even a century ago, a generation ago, back in the 60s, they, there were, from Marcus Garvey to Kwame Ture, African people will not be free until Africa is free. Right. African people cannot be united until Africa is united. Even Dr. King went to Ghana in 57 and built with Nkrumah. Yes. Black people, we are members of the African diaspora. Africa was not broken apart when we were forcibly removed from our homeland. Africa was expanded. We are African people. Our disposition, our mentality, our, our, our worldview is still what they call instinctively African. Mm. We don't behave like other populations in America. And sometimes we feel ashamed for, we ain't getting money like them. Why don't we be like these other people? So our fate has always been intimately tied to the African continent. And the African continent, the fate of the African continent is intimately tied to the fate of its diaspora. Mm -hmm. um, so African liberation looks like acknowledgement and unity and coordinated uh, actions and pooled resources of African people in the United in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. 
Latin, the African, there are more African people. The only the place that has more Africans outside the African continent is Latin America. Right. And they got us talking talking about Latinos and Hispanics. Them right. are African brothers and sisters. Right. You got the Caribbean. You got Africans throughout Asia. The African diaspora has to begin to act and functions as extensions of the African continent. And we have to define the interest of African people according to how they resonate with or align with African people everywhere else. Indeed. So wh whether we are activists, you know, whether we are, and, and other populations understand this. The United mm -hmm. States fought a bloody war with Great Britain. They fought the Revolutionary War. Right now, there are U.S. nuclear missiles trained on London. Mm. And despite all of this animosity, World War I, World War II, U.S. soldiers suited up and went over to Europe. <laughs> the United States is heavily invested in the fate of Western Europe. And they understood as Western Europe, that's why the Security Council, why is France on the U.N. Security Council? I have no idea. It's that's crazy. no business. I mean, there's right, more people crazy. In, in my housing project than in the whole country of France. Right. What natural resources, what right. strategic role or strategic position right. does, does France have? Mm. But the U.S. protects that role because the very concept, the very warped concept of what whiteness is and who whiteness is requires that these little nowhere backwater nations, thieving parasitic nations, remain in a position of prominence, not just political and economic, but in our minds and hearts. Mm, right. Right. You can't go to a cocktail party without some Negro bragging about how they went to Paris, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. right. as if that's a flex. Right. But now they're going to Africa's a flex. They turning that into a flex. But like these these black celebrities showing up in Africa, they are Trojan horses. Mm. And this isn't the first time. Remember when the Congo was united and the Congo was coordinating and trying to get resources to and from South Africa. And they were going to get with the armed factions of the South African anti-apartheid movement. And who did they send there? Who was the number one recording artist at that time? Louis Armstrong. Right, right. At the same time, they carried out the UCIA carried out the, the they sent him as an emissary. Mm. People mm. don't give, and and so, and then he even admitted he's like, well, they used me. They they used him as 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 a distraction to take out uh, Lumumba, and Africa still hasn't recovered from a, Lumumba's assassination. Mm -hmm. wow. Yet to recover. You know, Let me tell you something. <clears throat> a celebrity is not somebody who has a lot of talent. It's not somebody who's good at performing or good at athletics or somebody who's even popular. You have a lot of people that can rap better than Jay-Z, but they're never going to sell platinum. To me personally, Wise Intelligent, Boots Riley of the coup, he's a communist. And no matter how sick he spit, spit his <laughs> rhymes, he'll never go, go platinum. Right. It ain't about talent or lack thereof. <clears throat> a celebrity is a person who embodies the aspirations of the society at that time. That's why Kim Kardashian, what does she do? Can she rap? Nah. Can she dribble? Nah. And you can even say, well, she got a fat ass. But fat asses, you can buy them. <laughs> Dime a dozen. That's not even a special thing to have. <laughs> So when you see black celebrities, now I'm not saying black artists. We need yes. artists. Yes, there is sure. no successful revolution that did not have revolutionary art form. Right, right. Literature, 
music, artwork, fashion, aesthetics are very crucial to, to aesthetics, liberation. There was a, a documentary called Revolution in Six-Part Harmony. Hmm, dance, to. the reemergence of the African dance mm -hmm. and the African rituals and ceremonies was crucial from everywhere from Haiti to South Africa. So don't get me wrong. I'm not dissing artists. We can have revolutionary artists. Mm -hmm. We can have political. We can even have artists who are leaders because there are many artists who are scholars and many scholars who are also artists. But we can't have celebrity leadership. Mm -hmm. Because they embody the aspirations. Jay and Bay. Even uh, you know, where did where did Obama go the day after he left the White House? He went on Richard Branson's boat, an entertainment oh, wow. executive. Wow. But also too, remember uh during he, got a, he brought all those rappers, he brought like 25 rappers into yes. the White House to right. So, and then it's black people yeah. looking at Michael Blackson, these minstrel performers and rappers and athletes and comedians and like, yeah, we're going back home. Mm. And I said, go there and entertain our people. Lord knows our brothers and sisters, nobody deserves some good comedy, some good mm. music and some relaxations more than our brothers and sisters. Right. Go entertain all you can to the best of your ability. Entertain the fuck out of them and then take your ass home. Right. Head on back to Beverly Hills or Dave Chappelle can take his ass back to rural Ohio, wherever the weird place he's living with them rednecks. Didn't go back there and leave the struggle to the revolutionaries. Mm. And if anything, go to those people on the ground and say, how may I serve you? You talking about you go there to be the answer and to lead Africans. If anything, if you were true revolutionary artists, you go there and say, how will I serve you? That's what Bob Marley did. Mm hmm. He went to Zimbabwe and it's like, how can I, what can I do? You give me the instruction. Right. That's what Fela did. So that's what Paul Robeson did. So I'm not saying artists can't be a part. Artists are extremely important. We need to cultivate and support revolutionary arts. Mm. Wow. So if Skip Coon goes to Africa, then I support Skip Coon going to Africa. Because I know <laughs> he's going there humble and, and with a true with, with a true black agenda in his pocket. If he could just get over that Jesus Christ nonsense, he'd be <laughs> on. But beyond that, that's a solid brother. So mm -hmm. I'm not against entertainers going anywhere to contribute to our struggle and playing whatever role they are capable of playing within our struggle. Right. But I know the difference. When you start seeing them buy up all this property and stuff out there, yeah, does, that sense, does that make your antennas go up? Hell yeah. yeah. You know, everybody's bragging about uh, Tyler Perry's studio. Mm -hmm. Now, we had already seen the record industry. Oh, and Kanye West telling us the Jews. Kanye West pay his artists. Kanye West announced he's going to give masters back to all his artists. Did he do it? Hell no. Hell no. Remember, he's already got a, a, a what, a, a, a $30 million lawsuit from the gospel choir? Yeah. Who's getting, <laughs> he, wasn't dude, paying, he wasn't paying them. He didn't pay them shit. Yeah. Yeah. Used yeah. their likeness and didn't pay them shit. Look at designer that lost his goddamn mind. Signed a good I mean, one of my favorite rappers a decade ago in this city was Ad Two. Yeah. Conscious, but he signed the good music. I ain't seen or heard from him since. Wow, he did sign the good music? Yes. Oh man. Common got goofy as hell. Common was was a, one of my favorite MCs. <laughs> and then he after he signed the good music, he white <laughs> <laughs> Fucking everybody I like up. I was scared. Dead Prince was going to sign. So he's doing the same thing. He's not playing artists. He's right. ripping off artists. Barry Gordy. 
Yeah, he did. Puff the same Daddy. Mm-hmm. Puff Daddy. Birdman. But what's funny is you know, we- rubbing his hand together. So here's the thing. They talk. Oh, we need our black business. Talking about black business. What's one call it's under federal investigation for violation of labor laws, wage theft, creating really? unsafe Rick Ross and his chicken spot. Uh, Guess who else is being sued? And oh, yeah, he was doing now? some he was he was doing some foul stuff. Uh, being a capitalist. Yeah. Being a fat black capitalist. <laughs> I ain't got no problem with fat people, but you know, it's just it's different when it's a greedy capitalist. Yeah. yeah. And you're gonna be portly in a capitalist. If you're gonna be a big bone dude, be socialist. That way you jolly like Santa Claus giving shit away. But if you gobbling shit up, we use your fat against you. Same thing with 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 uh killer cholesterol Mike. Mm. But guess who's in trouble else? Guess who else is in trouble Ooh. for labor exploiting their workers? Slutty vegan. Really? Yeah, the girl that went and gave all them Negroes LLCs. And how you go to college for four years and not understand somebody giving you LLC, paying your LLC application ain't no solid. Don't mean you got a business, don't mean shit. Right, right, right. And like, depending on where you live, an LLC application is like $15. Right. You can go to LegalZoom and get a cheaper one than that. Right. And then, ooh, I got an LLC. Like, damn. Mm. So... It's the same thing with Tyler Perry and his movie studios. He don't pay union wages. He don't conform to 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 union work standards. Wow. He don't pay. Uh, uh, he don't use pay into the SAG system. So he's acting just like the Warner Brothers. Right, right, right. He's acting just like the big name movie studios. So black people getting in positions and behaving are, and this we saw this a generation ago we saw this two we saw this with Mobutu in in Congo and we saw this uh, uh Mugabe remember Mugabe was kicking out the white yep. farmers yep i remember and then he died he had b- over 3 billion dollars in his bank account mm-hmm. while his people were starving and right. being lynched in south africa you know uh, 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 but you know, we applauded him for kicking the white folks out, but yeah, but the and then other- he started talking about sissies and he was gonna kick all the gays out and give the death penalties and saying that the British wanted to make Africa gay. But then he was a Roman Catholic to the day he died, uh-huh. and all the black kids that were molested by the Roman Catholic, he didn't kick out the church. And when a black woman who was advocating for children's rights and trying to protect African children in Zimbabwe from the Roman Catholic predators, he ran her out of the country. So just because somebody come and talk big and bad and black, race first, not race only. We need to understand class, ideology, methodology, and agenda. Mm. Race first. I'm race first. I'm not race only. Just because you black and you somewhere, that is not enough. Right. You know, my solidarity is like your phone plan. It comes with terms and conditions. Mm. Right, right. Right. So I say all that to say black capitalists, black elites who don't really exist. They're not true elites, but the prominent blacks or as uh, 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 Ford called them, leading blacks. Mm. I like to term leading blacks. They are not our leaders. They are their servants. So, no, I don't trust these these prominent flashy Negroes in Africa. And I'll leave you with this. Dr. John Henry Clark said, if you can't build a candy store in Harlem, you cannot run an African economy. Mm. So you can't step over the courses of dead black kids in the United States talking about you're going to go save kids in Africa. Right. Houseway. Right. Right. Wow. Man, I appreciate you, uh, Brother D. I'm sorry. I know. We're supposed to be no. talking about King. Rest in peace, Dr. King. <laughs> no, I'm going to be in D.C. Uh, this spring. So I'm I'm go look at those those monuments and all that mess. Maybe you it'll going, pull you going to the museum? Down. <laughs> huh? 
You gonna go to the museum? Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. Everybody telling me I need to see it. It's really a sight to behold. What the African American history? Yeah, yeah, yeah the King not, Monument. It is. It is. It, it's dope. It's dope. I, I, uh, they got you, huh? Look at you. I see you choking back tears. They got you. They gonna keep it. They're not gonna give me. I'm gonna yeah. stay hard. My heart is hard. But yeah, I'm interested. I mean, I got to do Sabo here, so I'm a little spoiled. I already got a oh, yeah. Yeah. iconic museum right in my backyard. So right on. Um, but I, I definitely. It's always a pleasure for you to come on, man. You I know, appreciate I it anytime, a bro. Of, a lot of people. Um, like you said, that a lot of people are race first without having an understanding of everything else that comes with that. Right. And I think you do an excellent job of explaining that for everybody that may be new to my channel and haven't seen you on here before. Let them know where they can watch your shows and how they can follow you. Yeah, Diallo Kenyatta on YouTube. I'm also uh, producing shows and, and content for Black Power Media. I'm on uh, local radio. If you live in the city of Chicago and you can tune into the Q4 radio station, I have a, a weekly broadcast there, morning drive show, the Bro Diallo broadcast. Um, you can do at Diallo Kenyatta. You can, you're going to be finding my content. You can currently find I'm with the uh, Earn Your Liberation show with Dr. Jerry Barr and Geechee Y'all every Friday morning. Bro Diallo radio broadcast at Diallo Kenyatta across the socials at Diallo Kenyatta altogether. No doubt. No doubt. Well, peace. And uh, I will holler at you soon, brother. You too. You be safe. You too, brother. All right. Peace. Peace.